0: Hey, so this morning we are kicking off a new series that we are calling four-letter words, and I'm going to assume that all of us growing up learned that we weren't supposed to say four-letter words, right? I mean, that's four-letter words are why I know what dial soap tastes like. Uh, in prepa- by the way, it's not good. By the way, in case you're wondering, it's not good. In preparing for today, I actually searched the phrase four-letter words online, and I read this: four-letter words are words written with four letters that are considered profane or coarse. And so we thought we would take that idea uh, and apply it to, as followers of Jesus, what are some words that are four letters long that we find offensive, right? And, and uh, if you have your notes on the Version Bible app, uh, I wonder if you saw the four-letter word for today. Because the four-letter word for today, and we're all going to be offended by it, by the way, is the word, wait. Uh, And so I was reading this article about things I hate, and the list included uh, pistachios that don't open. I don't know if you've ever eaten pistachios. You get that one that's closed. I do hate that. Uh, People who don't know what they want to order after spending 20 minutes waiting in line. They get to the front, and then they stand there like they're standing in front of the refrigerator. When the person you're talking to has something in his teeth, when the person you're talking to doesn't tell you, you have something in your teeth, right? (laughs) Right? Uh, when your computer says you have Wi Fi, but your browser says there's no internet connection. Come on. Right? I mean, so, but I'm going to guess then there's going to be all other kinds of things on your list. Wet socks. Does anybody like wet socks? I hate wearing wet socks, man. But all kinds of things on our list of things that we hate. But my guess is that for all of us, it's going to include waiting. We hate waiting, and we hate waiting for all kinds of things. As kids, we hated waiting for Christmas Day to come, right? We hated waiting to get our driver's license. And yet this morning, Alyssa Greiner turned 16 years old today. And so she's now able to get her driver's license. She's here with us. So big round of applause for Alyssa. Yep. She's waited 15 years to turn 16. So congratulations, uh, Alyssa. Uh, we, uh, we don't like waiting for elevators, right? We don't like waiting for red lights uh, either. And if you're a Bengals fan... Thirty-three years, am I right? Thirty-three years we've been waiting for this. For some of us, or actually most for all of us, we're waiting for this pandemic to be over. This past week when it was raining, we thought, is it ever going to snow? We're waiting for snow, and then it started snowing. Is it ever going to stop snowing? Are we ever going to get rid of this snow? If you've ever been in a waiting room while someone you love is being operated on, you hate waiting. If you've had parents near the end of their life who look at you and tell you they're tired and they just want to go home and you know that day is not far off, you know what it means to hate waiting. We wait for all kinds of people and events and happenings. Some are funny, some are silly, some are difficult, some feel impossible to wait for. But what do you do when the person that you're waiting on is God? And you have followed God exactly where you believe that he has been wanting you to go, and all of a sudden you hit this concrete wall, and there doesn't appear to be a way around it or over it. Or you've messed up your life in a big way, but you've repented, and you know you've been forgiven, and you know that God has given you a second chance, but you just can't seem to get the traction again in your life. Or maybe you've begged God for healing or for peace or for a new job or for a best friend. This past week, our staff uh, took time to pray before the boards that are on the walls uh, where you have put your prayer requests. And I got to tell you, one of the things I sensed while we were doing that was just the weight of what you've asked us to pray for. Uh, Listen, maybe you've simply prayed for direction and the heavens seem strangely silent. What do you do? When the person you're waiting on is God, Uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And if this is your first time here, my name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Thanks for joining us here on campus. Thank you uh, for joining us online. And I got word. I know that we did a shout out to the Colmans, but I got word that Cheryl Setti, who's in the hospital this morning, is what you got your room rigged up so you could be with us in worship today, and you invited the whole fifth floor nurses station to join you. So. Thanks for joining us there in the hospital as well. Our notes for this morning, listen, because you might want to look back and be reminded about what we're talking about, or for sure you have a friend who is struggling uh, with what we're talking about today, and here's the thing, God might use you to talk into their life. So our notes are on the YouVersion Bible app under the Events tab. If you'd like, we have folks in our lobby who will be glad to help you either download the app if you don't know how to do that or to find where we are if you have that app on your device. So we're gonna take a look at a story this morning that I'm guessing is familiar to uh, almost everyone, if not everyone in the room. Uh, But there's this sentence in the story that I'm wondering if you've ever noticed. And if you noticed it, did it ever register with you before. So we're going to take a look at that. We're in Genesis 6, very easy to find. Go to the front of your Bible, uh, very first book, six chapters in. It's the story of Noah. Here's where it starts. Chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So we're just going to stop for a moment. We're about 1,500 years from the beginning uh, since Adam and Eve walked in the garden that God had created For them, with them in mind. And now the garden of Eden had become a cesspool. And that was not acceptable to God. You know, when people drift away from God, they have no restraints on their evil imaginations. And so, muggings and rape and assaults and drunken accidents and child abuse and spouse abuse, they all begin to increase. And the world of Noah's day was not unlike the world that ours has become. A world of bolted doors and barred windows and attack dogs and burglar alarms. and neighborhood watches because things are just that bad. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Now I just want to stop long enough to point out there's a word that we've heard twice in two verses, uh, and it's the word regret. Now, I don't know if that surprises anybody or not. When you think about Noah and how God responded to the wickedness of the world in that day, what's the word that you think of first? When you think of Noah, we typically think of flood, but that's not God's initial response. Uh, God does get angry at disobedience, but before that, sin breaks God's heart. I want to make sure that you caught that. So finally, after 120 years of grieving and waiting and warning people, finally judgment falls. And verse 8 says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the next verse tells us why. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That word uh, uh, blameless means free from defect. It's a word they would have used of an animal that they were going to sacrifice to God. So the question was, was Noah sinless? (laughs) No. If you read just a little bit more into his story, you're going to find out he was not. Was he perfect? No. But he walked with God. It's what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. I just want to remind you, there's only one person who ever walked the face of the earth that was sinless. His name is Jesus. But when we reflect him in our lives by following him... We're not always getting it right. Listen, we're not always going to get it right. But when we do our best to love God and love people and live on mission, there's a contrast between our life and the world around us that people cannot help but take notice of. And I want to make sure that you get that what Noah was in his world and Paul was in his world at the other end of the Bible in the New Testament is who we're supposed to be in our world today. So the rest of chapter 6 is about God telling Noah to build the ark, and then Noah actually building the ark. And we get to chapter 7, verse 1, and we read this, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe away, I will wipe from the earth, the face of the earth, every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all the creatures that moved along the ground, male and female, came to Noah, and they entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. So from the time that God tells Noah that he's going to destroy the world until the time that he actually does, scholars speculate, it's somewhere between 50 and 100 years. I don't know after you get to 50 if that really matters, between 50 and 100. But in the meantime, using crude tools, wooden hammers, and instruments like that, Noah builds a boat that's 450 feet long, 75 feet high, and 45 feet wide. It's about the same height as a modern-day six-story building. And every part of his body had to say, this is crazy. The sky is hot. The ground is dry. Boats have no business being built in the desert. Can you imagine working on any project for that many years of your life? But here's also what I wonder. I wonder if there wasn't a longer waiting period in his story than the years it took him to build the boat. Verse 7 says that Noah and his family and the animals entered the ark, just like God said. But did you notice in verse 10, and after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. After seven days, they're on the boat, seven days before it began to rain. Listen, when a man builds an ocean liner in his backyard, which is not near a body of water, it's liable to gain the attention, perhaps some sarcasm, from his neighbors. Imagine the ridicule he must have faced while he built this thing. And then he gets on it, and nothing. For seven days, 168 hours, 10,080 minutes, they're on this boat. Can you imagine sitting on a boat that long in your backyard? If it had started raining as the door was closing, that would have been one thing. Or, or if the door had closed and then you heard from heaven, three, two, one. <laughs> if it had started raining within the hour or within that afternoon or just sometime during that day, listen, you've done everything God has said to do, and still you wait. Do you know why that doesn't sit well with us? It's because, and this is in the notes, I wanted to make sure you took this home. Waiting brings truth to the lie that we tell ourselves, that I'm in control. And listen, when we read the story of Noah, we know he wasn't in control. Of course God was in control. But when I'm in the boat, and I've done everything that God has told me I'm supposed to do, listen, some of you have heard me talk about Uh, The fact that when Sandy and I got married, we had, I mean, we had planned this out. We had what we called our five-year plan, and the five-year plan simply meant that we were going to be married for five years, which would be time to to be together and to get everything in place and to get our finances in order, and then we were going to have children. Anybody else go into marriage with that kind of a plan? You already knew how many years you were going to wait. You had it all set on the calendar. I secretly called it the five-five plan because I wanted to wait five years and then have five children. Uh, (laughs) And then, truth be told, though, I was shooting for seven, a basketball team, and two subs. But uh, in the five-year plan, everything we did was geared toward being ready for children, knowing that if possible, we wanted Sandy to be able to stay home with the kids uh, to raise them. So every decision that we made, from paying off our school loans early, to credit card debt, to the car that we drove, and the house that we bought. Listen, our realtor told us, you can afford more house than this but we knew what one paycheck was going to be, so we made every decision according to that one paycheck. All was subordinate to the five-year plan. Uh, all, of, all of our decisions, every plan. We were thinking through what colors we wanted in the baby's room. We were thinking about the furniture we wanted in there. We prayed to be good parents, that we would raise children who love Jesus and who love his church. We did all of that. And you look at us now and you might say, well, And it worked, right? You've got two great kids. And now you've got three grandchildren as well. And that's all true. And they are awesome. It just didn't go according to plan. The time came for us to put the five-year plan into motion, which, as a guy, I was all about. uh, And each month, we were sure that what we had planned for and prayed for was going to happen. And each month we knew that the result of such good planning and such fervent praying that it was about to come true. But the same thing was true of us that's true of forty-eight and a half million couples around the world. It didn't happen. For a year, it didn't happen. And then our doctor recommended a fertility, an infertility specialist. And so we went knowing now the dream team is on the job. And so Hope was reborn in the Tuttle household, right? And every month what we had so carefully planned our lives around, it didn't happen again. And every month what seemed so easy for so many couples seemed so impossible and so out of reach for us for another 12 months. During that time, my twin brother and his wife had a child. During that time, a a teenager in our youth group had a child we thought, what what are we waiting for? We've done everything. We did it right the way we were supposed to do it. But I had to learn what Noah had to learn, what every man and woman who has ever decided they're going to follow Jesus has to learn. And that is that waiting teaches us to trust that God is in control. I'm not in control. God is in control. God reminds us in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that just reminds me that I may not know, and even if I know, I may not be able to understand. And I need to be okay with that, even and especially if I don't like it. I have to be okay with that, even if I don't like what's going on. In Psalm 31, we read, my life is in your hands, which just reminds us that although a situation may be out of my control, it's never out of his control. And that's what we either need to learn or be reminded of when we're waiting, which begs the question, well, what are we supposed to do while we wait? And I say that because what we do shows that we trust in God. Uh, that he's in control. And so, this is the notes, too. I wanted to make sure you had this. Waiting gives me the opportunity to show that I trust that God is in control by identifying and taking my next best step or my best next step. And we're not told what that was for Noah. But I'm assuming he's on a giant boat with family and animals that at some point the animals need fed. And so, that had to be one of his next best steps. My guess is his family had questions. I mean, how do you keep people on a boat that was built to save you from a flood? when there's no water outside, and and there never has been, and it's not raining again today. I don't know what it was for Noah, other than to work on trusting God when he couldn't see the danger that was approaching. He just couldn't see it coming. For me, because of his infertility, man, we just kept having sex, which was okay for me, but, uh, (laughs) I'll pay for that when I get home, Uh, (laughs) So this is why you don't run the notes by your wife, you know, before you <laughs> share them. Seriously, if this has been you, if you have struggled with infertility, please don't hear me making light of that because I'm not. Uh, although it may be fair to say that sometimes you laugh to avoid crying or even screaming because you're so angry. And you know, there's a lot of praying and a lot of questions. And honestly, it took a toll on our marriage. And so one of the things that we had to do, one of our next best steps, was we had to keep working on our marriage to make sure that it was strong as we moved forward, whether we had children or not. We had to, keep, we had to work hard to keep our trust in God that he was in control, because even though we could say those words, and I was on staff at a church, I had to say those words. Sometimes it felt like no one was in control of what was going on. But we had to take our best next steps, and my guess is you do too. And one of the steps that we all share is uh, waiting gives me the opportunity to show that I trust that God is in control by being patient. And I need to explain that for just a moment because that's not an easy thing. But James 5 says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That Greek word for patient in the New Testament literally means to take a long time to boil. In other words, you need to keep your cool when your head feels like it's going to pop off your shoulders. That's what that word means. The word for stand firm literally means to strengthen your heart. It's uh, it's about inner fortitude and strength. See, it's not just about what people see, which is remaining calm on the outside or being slow to boil. It's also about who we're becoming, strengthening our heart, your inner self. So, in your notes, I put this Godly patience is the resolve to face life's difficulties with perseverance, to confront life's challenges with persistence, and to, to attack life's problems with a determined trust in God, all the while waiting for things to happen according to His timetable. And so, maybe God is waiting for you to wait on Him before he provides the resolution that you so desperately want in your life. For you and me to acknowledge, yes, I follow you, and I surrender my life and my will to you, I realize that the timing on this thing, if it happens at all, is totally up to you. Romans 12:22 reminds us be joyful because you have hope be patient when trouble comes and pray at all times and so what I really should have said and put in your notes which I didn't is that waiting also gives us the opportunity to show God that I trust that he's in control by being patient and praying. And the question becomes what is it we're supposed to be praying then? And we're supposed to be praying God more than more than I want what I'm waiting for. I want to trust you with the outcome be okay with whatever you decide and you may have to pray that a lot before it becomes a reality because at the beginning it's just going to be words and you're directing your heart where you want it to go and your heart's not there yet but it wants to go there and so god i want to trust you with this outcome and be okay with whatever you decide but you keep asking god to take your heart to the place where it will trust him. Isaiah 49 says this, no one who waits for my help will be disappointed. That's why each week when we come together, we stop for a time of communion. And we remember what Jesus did for us through the cross, but not just the action. By remembering, it reminds us of who he is and how much he loves us and to what lengths he will go to to save us. So that wanting what we want and with waiting getting more difficult day by day and quite frankly sometimes moment by moment, we say to him through our remembering, I love you not just because of what you do, I love you because of who you are. I don't just love you because you might give me what I want and I've been waiting for. But because even if you don't, I love you for who you are. And so we're going to pray, and then we'll remember together. So God, thank you for your word. Even on days like today where we see in a story that some of us, many of us, most of us have heard since we were kids. Even if we didn't go to church, we probably had heard a story about Noah. but we tend to romanticize those things that are so far away from us. And so God, in this moment, may we remember that waiting has always been the story of men and women who have followed you and have trusted you or have wanted to trust you, are desperately trying to trust you in the process. And so we come to this time, Jesus, where we remember what you did for us as you hung between heaven and earth and took our sins on the cross. Thank you. And we love you, not not merely for what you've done, but because of who you are. And so we remember in your name. Amen.